thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. We're going to continue in the study of Ephesians chapter 1, and Pastor Jason just did an amazing job really laying out about salvation and the seal that's been put on our lives. And I wanted to go back and briefly look at those verses because those verses play such an intricate part in what we're about to go talk about in verses 15 through 21. So if you want to go to Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, you'll be here on the screens as well, but we can read it together. It says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with him a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And with this verse, the reason I want to do that is in a lot of verses, you'll kind of have a break, and it'll say this little... uh, chapter break that says something like prayer and thanksgiving. And the reason I want to do that is because because of this, it sets up what Paul's about to tell us in verses 15 on to 21, which we'll look at today. But I want you to remember that you are marked the moment you accept Jesus. You are marked with a seal that you belong to him, and everyone gets to see that seal in the spiritual realm, that you are a child of God. Because in the very next verse, as we look in verse 15, it says this, For this reason, so he's talking about what he just said, for this reason, because of your salvation, because of your belief, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, everybody say all, we're going to come back to that, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So as he comes out of that verse, he comes into these two verses, and he just starts out, and he's going to lay down a couple things that we're going to look at, what I call holy understandings, but we're not there yet, that he starts to really set up what he is going to pray for them and believe for them and want for them, and he does it because of who they are. And the thing to remember is, is for Paul in Ephesians, he, he lived there for two years, it's, like he, he, it's not like he didn't know who these people were. He knew what was happening in the churches there. He was in contact with the leaders. And so he is writing this letter to encourage them, but also to speak about the people that he knows and what is, is happening there. So these are not strangers to Paul as he starts to write this letter. But what's really interesting is what he highlights in these very first verses about what he believes is the best things that they're doing. And in verse 15, he says, for this reason, ever since I heard about the faith you have in the Lord Jesus, this is what I call, as I said earlier, the holy understanding. And the reason I call him this is because these are some keys that God lays out that every single one of us can use if we ever have the question, how am I doing in my relationship with God? How am I doing in my faith? How am I doing in my challenge? And when he says, when you you love the Lord your God, I can hear about this, it's because they're doing the very first one, which is number one under holy standing. It's they love God. That what speaks about them is that they love God. And remember, Paul is not there at the time. So it's not like he's hearing this from his neighbor who's involved in the church. He's hearing this from a distance. He's telling them, I am hearing as I'm traveling, as I'm gone, I hear about the love you have for God. 
You are loud when it comes to your faith. And I believe that is a principle for us that when we love God, that we should be loud when it comes to loving God. We should be like wild children. Any of you have wild children? Seen them before? Seen them in the wilds? I was a wild child. I know it because I had a bracelet on my wrist that had all of my information because I took off so often. I loved, like if we went to a museum, good luck keeping me close to my parents. I was like, oh look, shiny things, I'm gone. And I was loud and I was rambunctious and I would go and then eventually I would realize I don't know anyone around me, so I knew, okay, let me go find someone in authority. And then I'd go up with my bracelet and they'd be like, how can I help you? And I'd just stick it out and be like, this is me. Anybody know where I go, right? And in the same way, I believe that we should be loud children of God, that in any time someone says, who are you? You should just show them your bracelet and say, I'm a child of God. I love God. That's who I am. I'm loud. I'm rambunctious. I'm praiseworthy. I've got the spirit in me. I want to be loud because I love God. And so he starts talking about how he is hearing this across the world, that they are becoming people who love God. But then in the second part of verse 15, remember I said that you love all God's people. So the thing that he highlights for us is number two is this, that we need to love people. That our holy understanding is we see him in the Bible and the Great Commission, the Great Commandment is that we are to love God and love people. These are two of our values, our cultural values here at the church that no matter what is happening, if we, are we checking ourselves or saying are we loving God and are we loving people? And it's the same thing that you can challenge yourself in your life as he opens these verses. Are you loving God right now? Are you loud about your love? Have you figured out what that love is? Because I don't know, I, I love my wife and I tell people that I love my wife. If you love something, you speak about it. When you love people, you let them know you love them. You speak to them. And we should be a church that reflects that, that we love God and we love people. And so that was one of the things he just started to set up. And these are two of our cultural values, like I said, but there's, there's two more that we do. Uh, but you can find out about those if you take the growth track. I want to leave you in suspense. So go to growth track if you want to find out what the other two are. But the Lord has so many good things for us. And Paul just opens up by saying, listen, I'm so excited to hear that you love God and that you love people. And that you talk about it often. But then also in verse 16... He starts to talk about some of the things that he's doing for them. And it says in verse 16, it says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. It's interesting that he does that because all of a sudden he starts to give us a glimpse into what is his spiritual life. He starts to unpack a little bit for us that he hasn't stopped giving thanks for them and he hasn't stopped praying for them. And we know from Jewish culture today and back then Jewish people would pray three times a day. And I'm not talking about the meal prayers. The, uh, the ones that we do at home, we're like, dear Lord, bless this food, what a great day, amen, and we move on. These are concentrated, sat down times of prayer that they would have prayed for specific things. And Paul was not just set in his religious ways of saying, I will do this to fulfill it. It was because it was a passion in his heart for his love of God that he wanted to spend time in prayer with God. And here's the thing that we see even in this in the three times a day. One of the challenges that we can even take from that culture and lessons that we can learn is this, that our life should revolve around God. We should not ask God to revolve around us. 
I'll preach right there. Hallelujah. I don't know if you're live with me, but amen. I'll amen myself if I have to, all right? Our life should revolve around God. His challenge, the things that we read, the love that he gives, that's what my life desires and should be going after. I should not go to God and say, I need you to fit into this because this is what I can manage. It should be the other way and say, God, how do I become a part of your kingdom so I can be a part of your life so I can do great things? And so as Paul starts to tell these things, it made me even think about, uh, I'm not a morning person. How many morning people do we have here this morning? Great, we're going to have altar ministry for you later because I don't understand you. I'm not a morning person. If I could show up to work around 10 or 11, that would be fantastic. But I need to be to work on time. Amen. All right? Get to work on time. I'm not saying do that. But I have to set things in my life, so I have to set an alarm every morning at 6 a.m., which to me is ungodly, but I'm doing it for him. And then lately, with this thing called daylight savings time, the sun is up at 5 a.m., Again, God, I don't know what's going on. What is daylight savings time? I'll leave that for another time. But here I am trying to get up, and the thing is I've realized if I want to have enough time to be with God, to work out and get to work, then i got to get up early, which means i got to make sure that my schedule revolves around God, not that I wake up and say, God, can I fit you in today? And so as he starts to just talk about these principles in verse 16, another way to say it is when we talk about our Christian life and the way that we live, the Christian life is about knowing God and making him known to others. And people tend to know about your life based on the way that you live your life and what are the priorities and what are the things that we talk about, what are the things that we value, what are the places we're at the most. And then they'll start to say, oh, that's what you love. And so we see through Paul's prayer life and through what he's doing is that he is setting up some of the principles through the simple act of saying, I am praying for you, that we can extract for ourselves some of the things that are challenging for our life to say, this is what I need. So I think there's a couple good principles that we can extract from this. And the first one is this. One of the good principles for loving God and loving people is when you talk about people, look for traces of grace and find reasons for gratitude. When you look at people, and you talk to people, and you love people, you gotta look for traces of grace, because the grace that God gave us is the grace that saved us. And the grace that we've been given is a whole lot greater than the grace that sometimes we give. And we live by God's grace through his son, Jesus Christ, and salvation, that's been given to us. And so when we look at people, we gotta look for the good. We gotta find the good in things before we find the bad. And I I know this is something I need to work on. My wife and I, when we travel, this is just the nature of of who, who I am and what I do. And I love working at this church and we'll go to other churches. And usually what happens is when I get to that other church, I'll go to a service and the first thing I start to do is like, oh, they missed that transition. Oh, that slide wasn't right. Oh, man, their lighting guy's not working. Oh, they're behind. I don't know what's... And I just, I critique like crazy. And then my wife will eventually lean over and say, will you be quiet? I can't even go to church with you anymore. And I'm like, I'm sorry. And so when I walk in the rooms, I have to remember, I got to look for grace and say, you know what? It may not be the way I do it, but man, they love the Lord. Thank God for that. It may not be the way I want it, but thank God that they love Jesus. 
That's the heart that we should be looking for, even when it comes to people. They may not do it the same as me, but my gosh, the grace that's over me is the same grace that is over them, so I better give them some gratitude because God values them just as much as he values me. So that's what we're living for. We're living for Jesus and the grace that he gives. And Paul just sets this up for us. But then he goes on, when he talks about how they pray for him, it comes to the other principle that I have of good principles for loving God and loving people. And it's good principles for our prayer life. The first one is this, that our prayer life should always be ongoing. It should always be ongoing. It should be every day. It should not be something that is at a meal and that's it. It's the part of our life that should be ongoing every time we wake up, we just take a moment and we pray to God and then we pray later and we pray at night and we pray with our kids and we pray with our family and we pray with our neighbor. And we, it should always be a part of our life because he talks about ever since I heard about you, I gave thanks. Now here's the thing I also want you to remember. Praise usually always goes with prayer. When we talk about prayer, I want to praise God, I want to thank God, I want to love God and I want to give thanks for that and then I want to give him the requests, the intercession, the things that I have. So it's always going hand in hand, our praise and our prayer. But it should always be ongoing. And the second one is, it should always be planned. Our prayer should always be planned. Not that it's bad that sometimes you're like, oh God, I'm just struggling with this, but here's what I mean by that. First of all, it should be planned into your day. When are you stopping to pray? and talk to God. But the other thing is, is we do a thing called here called 21 Days of Prayer, and I love 21 Days of Prayer. It's an amazing time for us to, together as a church. And what we do is we have concentrated time to pray about specific things. And so here's something I think we can extract of this. Are your prayers planned out each morning? That when you sit down to pray to God, you are concentrating on something for someone. Are you praying for people? And I, and Here's the challenge I would have for that. Over the next 30 days, write out 30 different topics you could pray for and see what happens. Because I'm telling you, there's gonna be movement and changes in some of those things that you didn't expect because you're concentrated on it. And I don't mean, and I'm talking about get specific. I mean this, if you've got more than one kid, then one kid is one day's prayer. Pray for that one child all day. Pray for that one spouse, because you should only have one. All right? All day. Pray for that family member all day. Be planned in what you're doing because we know that God has planned things for us because, again, in verse 16, when he talks about it, he says this, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He didn't stop thanking God for what they were doing. He was so grateful for how loud they were about Jesus, and then he kept praying for them. And then we also see in first, first Thessalonians, I can't speak right now, Thessalonians, it says this, rejoice always, praise, give that rejoice, rejoice in who he is, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That our prayers are planned, that our prayers are ongoing, that our prayers are part of who we are. And as Paul does this, he just wants to tell the people of Ephesians, I am focused on praying for you. So I want you to understand something because he goes to 17 and then he starts to tell them, but this is what I'm praying for you. This is his planned prayer. And I want you to see it in verse 17 and we're gonna go through 21 and then we'll come back. 
I keep asking that the God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, say glorious Father. He is glorious. Amen? And we're going to come back to that, what it means to say that he is a glorious Father. May give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe the power or excuse me that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. He turns to them and says, I'm so glad to hear about what's happening. Here's specifically what I want for you. And what we see in that, what we can extract from that is this. Planned prayers are powerful. When we sit down and say, this is what I want for you. I want you to know this. I want your eyes to be open, your hearts to be enlightened. I want you to know these things, that these things are powerful. And he wants them to know God through this. What he's talking about is not something that's just simply saying, oh, I just hope the best for you. He's saying, I want you to be enlightened your heart opened to who God is and I want you to know him because he is such a glorious father it's why one of our principles as a church is know God we want you to know God we want you to know as much as you can about God we want you to know about all the power that he has for you because here's one of my biggest beliefs we know that God can set people free but you want to know the one who sets you free so if you're going to be set free, know who he is. You want to know his power, know who he is. You want to know his character, know who he is. Because that is what our desire is, is so that we can know God. And he prayed this over and over again. And when we pray, are we praying for knowledge just as much as we're praying for others? In this way, are you praying for others, but are others praying for you? Have you asked others to have planned prayers for you? Here's what's happening in my life. I need you to pray into this. Here's what's happening in my family. I need you to be praying into this. Here's what's happening in my finances. Here's what's happening in my relationships. Here's what's happening in my relationship with God. Can you pray for this? Who's praying for you? And seek them out. Ask people to pray for you because it is so powerful and so helpful and so uplifting knowing that others are walking through this life with you. But I want to go back and touch on that word glorious father for a minute. Because when we talk of God, when he talks of God, this is how he sees him. And here's what I believe, and, I, and I'm going to refer to this a little bit later, but the way that you approach someone is based on how you usually perceive them. The way I perceive my wife is different how I perceive my friends because of my relationship with her. And so when I talk to my wife, I have learned over the years the things to say and not to say. And they're a little different, right? I get a chuckle because already people are going, truth. So let me give you a real life scenario. Any of you who are married ever been shopping with your spouse? It's the greatest five hours of your day, correct? 
No, it's not really that long. She's here, so I know I can say these things. That's okay. But when you go shopping with your wife, I'm going to speak to the men and women for a little bit. When you go shopping, sometimes you go shopping for jeans, and you got to go look at jeans. And she's like, okay, let me go try them on, but I need you to stay close. And so you end up in the chair right outside the women's dressing room. And so you're trying not to look like a creep while you're sitting there, and people are walking out, and they stare at you, and you're like, no, it's okay. I know someone. It's all right. I'm not, I'm not that guy. It's okay. And so you wait. And so they walk out. Usually your, your wife will walk out and say, what? How do these look? And through my interactions with my wife, I have learned what to say. But here's the thing. If I just say the word good, oh, you look good. How many of you love to be told you look good? Yeah. Here's what I've learned. What I should probably say is, jeans on you. You look good. Oh, that's my wife, everybody. Jeans look good. And then she'll say, are you sure? I'll be like, yes. I've learned how to interact with my wife through my experiences with her and how I perceive her. But ladies, I got to go theological for a minute. Good is okay. Good from a guy means good. And I will prove it. Genesis, God created the earth, and he said, it saw it and said, it was good. I'm just saying, God can say it, so can I. But how we perceive people usually is going to dictate how we approach them. But I saw a quote from a pastor named Rich Wilkerson Jr. and he said this, how you perceive someone dictates how you will receive from them. How I look at God, how you perceive God will dictate how you will receive from him. When my wife speaks to me, she speaks with great authority because it's my wife. I perceive her as someone great in my life. When Paul talks about God being his glorious father, it's because he perceives him as his glorious father. So he will receive what he has to say because he looks at him in that way. How do you perceive God? Do you perceive him as a glorious father? Do you perceive him as a healer? Do you perceive him as powerful? Do you perceive him as all the traits that he has? Because how I perceive him would normally be then how I pray to him. If I don't perceive him as a God that can heal or a God who can change or a God who can be there for me, then my prayers don't often ask him to be that in my life. So the way that we perceive God will be how we pray to God. The way that we perceive God will dictate how we receive from him. Because here's the thing, when God speaks to us, it has power in it. And when we pray, here's the thing, is the next point. When we pray, prayer is eye-opening. Prayer is eye-opening to our lives. He prays it specifically to them. He says in Ephesians 1:18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. He is praying that our hearts, that our eyes would be opened 
to what God has for us, that they would be enlightened. And when you talk about enlightened, you can look up the definitions. It also means to shine light upon. And when that Holy Spirit gets in us, that's our light. Some people will say that the Holy Spirit is our flashlight to the Word or to the Bible. That when we're reading the Bible, the Holy Spirit is that light that clicks on and says, no, this is what that means. Look at how he did this. Look at how he saved them. Look at how he healed them. That Holy Spirit is that flashlight for us to be enlightened, to see what God is doing for us. So Paul wants our hearts to be enlightened. But how do we get an enlightened heart? A lot of times, again, it has to do with how we perceive God. There's an author that I like to read. His his name's Tony, and he says this. The reason we often fail to see the Spirit's illumination is that we have inflated views of ourselves and low views of God. We tend to look at ourselves and say, "I, I see myself this way, and I can handle it, and I can do this, and God's there, but you know, maybe he doesn't have time for this or he hasn't helped me in the past. Listen, we have to write our vision and say that God is greater than ourselves and look at him and say, what I pray, I pray with all the faith that I have because I have an elevated view of God. I view him as a glorious father. And maybe that's not where you're at today and that is okay. I'm not saying that you're falling short. What I'm saying is, I didn't get the view of my wife being the greatest woman on the planet without getting to know her, without knowing who she is. I didn't get to know my best friends and the people around me just because for a a single instant I got to interact with them. It takes time to know who God is. So if you're not there today, that's okay, but continue to get to know him because he can do so many things. And one of the things is the power that's in him. In verse 19, it continues on. It says, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. And then he starts to describe this power, this power that is for us, that we can have and tap into. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him on the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. He said, this is the power that I want you to have. This is the power I want you to know. That this power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that is for you. And which brings me to the next point. We pray to a powerful God. We don't pray to a lazy God. We don't pray to a non-listening God. We pray to a powerful God because that power that we just described is the power that is in every single one of us, is the power that lifts people from the grave. And when I think of power, I think of strength. I think of strong will. I think of every power being that you could just pick it up and happen. And so when I was thinking about it, I thought about, okay, so who's the world's strongest man? And so I brought a photo of him. And you may see we look identical. I know. (laughs) Thinning hair, beard, really tall. I get it, but it's not me. That's him. I don't know how to pronounce his name. He's Icelandic. And I do not speak Icelandic, but there you go. Last name Bjornsson, I believe. Um, But this is the world's strongest man. He's six foot nine, weighs 400 pounds. 
When he set the record for world's strongest man, he picked up a 33-foot-long log that weighed 1,430 pounds and carried it. Again, I know, it's similar. (laughs) But anyways. Here's something you didn't know about him. He used to be a professional basketball player in Iceland. He was tall and skinny. And he played basketball. And what happened is is he broke his ankle and he couldn't play. And so through his rehab and through what he was doing, he found a love for lifting weights and he started to lift and become bigger and become stronger and get more involved in the world's strongest man competitions and eventually he won. He came in second place two straight years before he actually won. And here's the thing that you can know about this is it didn't take him overnight to get to this. He had to use the tools that he was given. And when I think about him and I think about the tools, it makes me think of cake. Who likes cake? All right. Cake is good. And you're like, now I know why he's like this and Kurt's like this. He thinks of strength, he thinks of cake. But here's the thing about cake. Cake is something that is so delicious but it takes certain ingredients to make it happen. And when we come to know God and we start in our prayer life and we start to do these things, the tools that God has given us are our ingredients. But what sometimes tends to happen is we tend to take the ingredients that God has given us and say, God, I want cake. There's a video of the bad lip reading out there with the coach that's like, I want cake, I want it now. I love that video. Maybe the younger people understand, I don't know. But I love, he's like, I want cake, I want it now. We tend to pray that way. God, I want you to fix this now. God, I want you to take away now. God, I want you to change this now. God, I want this job now. And God says, I gave you all the ingredients. You just gotta put it together. And so God gives us the tools through prayer, what we see through Paul here today, to make cake, to make life, to make this happen but we have to use the ingredients that have been given to us to make the cake any good. And one of the ingredients that I wanted to focus on was the egg. You see, with eggs, I think of you. You're not an egghead, don't worry. But here's the reason why I think of you when it comes to an egg. This egg I could not make cake without it. But here's the thing. An egg will not fulfill its purpose until it's broken. The reason I think of you and I think of myself is this. God has something for you. But a lot of times we use our shell as our protection and say, God, I'm ready to be used, but this is how I am. And God says, the shell is not what I need. What's inside is what I need. And so he needs to break you. And then it fulfills its purpose. Because here's the thing, I'm not gonna throw the shell into the cake. First of all, that'd be a terrible cake. But second, it doesn't do what I need it to do. It doesn't matter if it's hard boiled. Doesn't matter if it has a chicken coming out of it, the shell, has to break so it can be used.
And with these tools and with the egg and with what we've been given, God says through Paul in Ephesians that here are ways to have a powerful prayer life. Here are ingredients to have a life that is unlike any other life you thought you would ever have. But the only way that that's gonna happen, the only way that all of these ingredients are gonna come together is if you are willing to be broken. Because there are things in our lives that we hold on to that we just tell God, no God, you can't have that. Sometimes it's our pride. Sometimes it's our relationship that we know is not healthy. Sometimes it's a, a thing that we just, it nurses us and it says, no God, you don't understand how important this is to me. No matter what it is, God says, if you would just let go of that one thing and let me break your shell, you will fulfill what I've created you to do. Your prayer life is powerful. It can change the world. It can move mountains. It can heal people. It can break addictions. It can do more than you probably ever thought it could do, but you have to take all the ingredients together, knowing God, being faithful, having an ongoing planned prayer life, and put that all together and then be willing to be broken in front of him. I heard a pastor say once when he talked about the church, he says, you know, our, our goal is as a church, and it is the goal of our church, that this would be a safe place for every person. But a lot of times when we come into a church, there are more masks than a Halloween party. This church, our house, is not about the mask. It's about what's inside. Our goal, our hope for every person in here is that you come broken because God can take the broken and do so much greater than what he could do with you in a shell protecting yourself. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.